Hello, welcome to Nashville Demystified. I'm your host, Alex Steed. Nashville Demystified is a show in which I get to know the city better by talking with the folks who live, work, agitate, and make art here today. We are talking with artist Kevin Guthrie. I only add the question mark because he's a little reluctant to call himself that, though. I believe he's a great artist. He has a show hanging at the Julia Martin Gallery through the end of April called A History of Tofu in America. I think it is brilliant. I love Kevin Guthrie so much. I'm glad we got a chance to have this conversation. It's been a minute, by the way, since we were last in touch. You and I, I appreciate your being here. Just a couple pieces to tell you about before we get further into the introduction. If you like this show, I have another show that I co-host with my friend Sarah Marshall. She hosts a show called You're Wrong About that some people know about. And we have a movie podcast called You Are Good. It's a feelings podcast about movies. We're not watching movies through a critical lens. We're watching them uh, through a lens of understanding ourselves and the people who we share this experience with better. So, you know, what's going on now? We talked about Heathers recently, and uh, it was a great opportunity to discuss high school <laughs> and how weird of a place that is. So check that out at You Are Good, wherever you listen to podcasts. Nashville Demystified, of course, is distributed by We Own This Town, which is a collection of podcasts made by and for Nashvillians. If you like the show, you'll like the shows on that network. There's just a bunch of different shows by a bunch of different Nashvillians talking about a bunch of different things. So if you're not familiar, check out those shows as soon as you are able. Thank you so much to We Own This Town for distributing Nashville Demystified. So Kevin Guthrie has been on the show before. He was on our David Berman tribute a couple years back. He read from Berman's blog. Uh, Kevin and David were friends, and uh, I was just truly blown away that Kevin was uh, willing and interested to offer his voice to that tribute. David Berman meant a whole hell of a lot to me, and uh, I believe to a lot of people in this city. So I was glad to have Kevin be a part of that. But that's how we originally got in touch. We've stayed in touch. We tried to have this interview <laughs> another time, but technical difficulties got in the way. When that happens, you're always like, "Ugh, God, oh no, Like, what are we going to do? The interview didn't work. But it led to a second interview. And often a second interview is great because you're already comfortable and have some rapport and you get some good nuggets out of the second round that you didn't necessarily get out of the first. So that's what you are about to listen to in this conversation with Kevin. I don't have a ton to add that we don't talk about in the actual exchange outside of just like Kevin's fantastic. Kevin's art's great. I went to the show at Julia Martin. I bought a couple of the pieces that were related to the Source family, which we talk about in this episode, because I love weirdos. <laughs> and I think Kevin's a bit of a weirdo in the best way possible. I think his art is by and for weirdos. And I think his lens, the stuff that he's looking at, the stuff that he's trying to get closer to in his art, particularly stuff like the Source family, you know, that's some weirdo shit. That's my favorite stuff. I'm grateful for what he does. So I'm glad that we have this conversation. I'm glad that you're here to listen to it. This is going to be a week of two episodes. After not being around <laughs> for a while, we're going to have a couple episodes. Our next is going to come out on Record Store Day. And it's an interview with Mary Mancini, uh, who, among many, many other things in this fine city, was the owner of Lucy's Record Shop. And I thought Record Store Day would be a perfect time for that. She's got some stuff to talk about as it relates to Lucy's. And it was an incredibly touching conversation. I thought we were going to just have some 90s history time, which is one of my favorite times to have. But we got even deeper than that. And I really appreciate that Mary talked with me about that time. And I'm glad that we, I think we both got like a little vulnerable <laughs> about what that era 
meant to us and about what record shops meant to us and about what scenes meant and still mean to us. And it was a lovely conversation. So I hope you'll join for that. And then finally, let's talk with the great artist, artist, Kevin Guthrie. Kevin Guthrie. Hey, Alex. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Kevin Guthrie, and we are here to talk about the 1998 Kentucky Derby. <laughs> I thought we were here to talk about the monkeys. Let's talk about the monkeys. You might see the you might see the monkey tonight. I'm hoping to see the monkey tonight. That would be Mickey Dolan's at the Ryman. Yeah. Um, you, was, I wonder when the last time there was a, uh, an act at the Ryman who has had Jimi Hendrix as an opener. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, did the monkeys have, they had Hendrix as an opener? Yeah. That's and it was fantastic. Mickey Dolan's, I think was the one that found him. And, and it was like right when Jimi Hendrix like kind of popped all at once after years of playing guitar. But yeah, they took him on tour and like the audience didn't know what <laughs> to do. And he left after about a week. Yeah. But there's footage of it. Oh my God. You know, God, he was wonderful. like, it was it's great looking and you know. Oh, it's so good. So Kevin. Yes. I don't even know where to start. How would you characterize what you do in the world? Right now, I, uh, I've been, especially since the pandemic, I haven't done much else, been making in air quotations artwork <laughs> um, where I take recycled boxes. Mostly I like beer boxes. Mm. Uh, with the circles where the tops of the cans are, and cut them up and go to town with my crayons and pencils, and I've started to add some paint and Mm -hmm. trying to make kind of obscure historical analysis of things, and uh, my interests are a wide variety between sports and politics and current events. And you just had a show at uh, Julia Martin Gallery. Julia Martin Gallery. Uh, in the Wedgwood, Houston neighborhood of Nashville, Tennessee. Julia's an old friend of mine that I met years ago when I first moved here. And she had a studio right across from where I was working. She would come over and have a beer <laughs> when she would take a break. And we became friends and she had gallery shows and we just became socially good friends. And um, she opened this gallery and I moved into an apartment with a roommate. And she's like, Kevin, you have to quit smoking. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I quit smoking. And with my spare time, I just started drawing Mm. on my recycled beer boxes that needed to go out to the recycling bin. And uh, I ended up just drawing on them and liking it instead of smoking (laughs) and collected 20 or 30 of them. I just had them laying around and no one saw them. And when I turned 50, my friends had a nice birthday party for me at a a restaurant. And as a joke, I gave these out. (laughs) And I gave one to Julia and she's like, you're doing a show. (laughs) So I did, I put those, some more of those in, and then, like, I just kept at it. And uh, anyway, the show that I just did, for some reason, I took an interest in the history of vegetarianism, (laughs) maybe for health reasons, I think, Mm. during the pandemic. I don't know if you had the issue. Did you put on any weight? Oh, God. Yeah. I I just, I was at the doctor the other day, the first time in, like, a real way in a couple years. And my issue was less weight related and more heart, oh yeah, like heart stuff. Okay, uh, and they were like, "You gotta tone it down." Are they putting you on like uh, you blood thinners, down, kind of a thing? Oh yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna start with um, me. Actually, I, I took two years in which I was just like uh, cake for a couple meals a day, exactly, sure, whatever. And exactly. it's now I gotta you know pretend like I want to live. <laughs> <laughs> 
So oh, I, man. so I, I hear you. So you were trying to. So uh, I have same issues with me. Although you know, I haven't had a doctor tell me that, but I know that that's what he would <laughs> yeah, say, <totally. laughs> or she, yeah. or they. So I, I don't know. It's kind of I, I, the, the history of tofu in America is what the working title of the show was: the history of tofu in mm. America, and that expanded uh, to include like the vegetarian stuff I've been thinking of for I don't know. Yes, health was on the back of my mind. Yeah. And there's a fascinating history in the little town where I live north of, I think you live up there too in Madison. I sure do. Now, you live off of Neely's Bend, I correct? Do. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where uh, where my show starts. Hmm. Uh, the first portrait in there, it's a series of 30 pieces that all have to do with the subject matter, is of Ellen White, who was a very powerful member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. She grew up in or born in Maine, I believe, hmm. similar to nice, you. Nice connection. And one of her big things was uh, vegetarianism as well as preaching the gospel. And she wanted to set up shop in the war-torn style. So they were looking for a place, and they were kind of used Nashville as a central point where they were like going out to different parts in the area and looking for places. And they were on a riverboat cruise up the Cumberland, and the boat broke down. They docked at Neely's Bend and got <laughs> off. And she said, this is it. Put a uh, factory there. They would can fresh vegetables. Mm. And that was very successful. And they had an, a meat substitute made out of nuts. And that mm. was one of their main products. And it ended up being in the 30s was shipped to grocery stores all over North America. Yeah. And the factory was active. And it was called nut meat. That was the product. Yeah, nut meat. They had something called nut roast. Yeah. That was probably special for Sunday. <laughs> yeah. When you were like, I'm interested in vegetarianism, like, were you thinking specifically of tying it to the area and going from there? Or was that like a nugget of history that you had in your brain already? No, that was something. Well, that was a conversation I had with a friend of mine, Pete Finney, told me all about that. And we also talked about Steve Gaskin. Stephen Gaskin, who is famous for starting the farm mm. down in uh, Summertown, Tennessee, when he was uh, in the 60s, was a professor in San Francisco, and he was really into experimental drugs. He taught English, and uh, people that even weren't students would come to his lectures. It would be 300 people, so he had followers. He decided to put his money where his mouth is, is the way I like to put it, and they drove a caravan of school buses out to the South, and again, looked for a place to set up and open a self-sustaining commune mm. farm, and it worked. And it's just like right on the Alabama border. Right on. And it's still, it's like wildly successful today. They still have all of that, but they make solar panels. His wife, Ina May, is like one of the top doulas mm. in, in the country. So they still do a lot of good work. He passed away about eight, nine years ago. Mm. Uh, but he's very interesting, too, like tons of great. They had a rock band. And then I just kept looking and I found like four viable reasons or how tofu even came to be like 2,500 years ago. And I just ran with the most preposterous, ridiculous one of them <laughs> and did a portrait of this guy named Lou Ann who was working on a potion to live forever. And he was also taking care of his grandmother at the same time. And she wanted some beans and he made her some soup. She couldn't chew. And he accidentally spilled uh, some, like, sea salt or mm. something, and it coagulated and turned into tofu. Huh. And that that's a really far-fetched legend. And then he killed himself uh, running from the law or something. But he was, like, the king or prince of 
his province in China. <laughs> what, a spe- what a spectacular origin story. Yeah. So how, how was the show overall? How did, how did, how did it, it I was overwhelmed. There were so many people. Now. There were, I was there. There were so many people. popular <laughs> thing. And it's a social event of the month, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, certainly it was like packed. It was great. Yeah. It was great to see everyone sort of engaging uh, with the art. So focusing on tofu, right? Mm-hmm. Do you need something like a banner or like a category to like keep you focused or was that just specific for the show? I do. Yeah, I do. I like, I, I need help self-editing. Mm-hmm. Like the two other big shows that I've done here, one was I did all of Muhammad Ali's professional mm-hmm. opponents. He had 61 pro fights. Mm-hmm. So I did 61 portraits and that was, all right, this is what I have to do. <laughs> I can't throw people in. He didn't fight Butterbean. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'd like to have done a portrait of Butterbean. <laughs> And then the next one I did was all about the first pro baseball game I went to when I was a kid. Hmm. And I found the box score and I saw all the plays Hmm. and how the scores happened and who batted and who did what. And all this information was very helpful. So I did a portrait of everybody that played in the game. And unfortunately, Willie Mays was on, shows how old I am. Willie Mays was (laughs) near the end of his career and uh, sat on the bench the whole time. So I couldn't use him. I couldn't use, I couldn't put Willie Mays in there. He was was in the proximity. And then the next game, the next day he had a home run, you know? Oh my God. Are you, are you originally from here? I grew up um, right outside of Richmond, Virginia, two little small towns. I kind of split my time evenly near uh, Fredericksburg, this town called Bowling Green, Mm -hmm. Virginia, which is pretty historic. And then this town near Chesapeake Bay called West Point, Hmm. Virginia. So they're two like, Less than a thousand people. What brought town. you to Nashville? That's what I keep asking myself. <laughs> what brought you to Nashville? I, well, I, as soon as I got out of college, you know, when I turned thirty, I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it took me six and a half years. <laughs> I, I went to college at yeah, I went to college at VCU in, in Richmond, Virginia, and then I, uh, I wanted to get out of town so bad, so I, I lived all over the place. I moved to New York for a few years. I was in the city there, and then I moved to San Francisco for a number of years. Then I uh, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. I lived there for about close to 10 years. I moved here because we're pretty close to Louisville, and mm. I had seemingly had more friends down here mm. than I did in Louisville, and I just was ready for a change. What was Louisville like then? Yeah, I imagine it's the same as it is now. I don't go up there too much anymore, but it's real up there, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> Not a lot of there's not a lot of uh, posturing as you might see around this town. Sure, you know? <laughs> uh, the music seems great. Like yeah. there's all these like incredible musicians that play just this weird music. To me, it's seated in like that '80s college rock that I like. That was like kind of like metal, mm-hmm. but kind of like slow jazz or something. I don't know. They call it math rock. It's kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah. it's still like it. it's still in the air mm-hmm. up there in Louisville in a good way. Like it's really you know. I was just looking through old issues of the oxford american they had like an early ish i forget what album it must have been but it was like an early ish bonnie prince billy review might have been palace might have been and i was just like that must have been fun to know about in real time as it happened because like you just tell people like what is what's happening here (laughs) like this guy's clearly a genius but like what is occurring here i know will a little bit i'm good friends uh with his brother paul Mm. And but when I moved there, Will was already kind of like a big deal. So yeah. he would play in Louisville like once every two years. It would be at like headliners or someplace or like the Brown Theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I would love to have been around because he's not that much younger than me. I would have loved to have seen him like come up and play in those yeah. bands. You know, 
Like he was all part of that, like yeah. Slint and all those guys. Total bait. He was right in there. Yeah. I saw Slint on that 2005 reunion. Were tour. they great? Yeah, it was like listening. I mean, sometimes this is a complaint. In this case, it wasn't like a complaint. It was like listening to the record. They were like, yeah, they're doing it. That's just so hating cool each other. Way. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much that was calculated or how much was Steve Albini that that record that he produced of theirs like. But I mean, just the way that the drums and guitar and the soft vocals. Oh like, my God. Like, you yeah. barely hear it. It's Haunting. like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's I great. love it. Yeah, yeah. You've been in proximity to a bunch of fantastic music. Yeah. Like you've been around and like working with folks who are yep. doing stuff. So yeah. like, how did that happen? I was friends back in the day in college, back in Richmond with uh, Steve West, who mm-hmm. plays drums in Pavement. And he and I... And his band, we all moved to New York and shared a, a flat together, a house together, apartment together. Or he went to high school with Bob Stanovich, and that was right when Pavement was starting. <laughs> and Bob and David and I think Malcolmus too at the time, they were all living in Hoboken. So we yeah. went over to visit and like went to a show at Maxwell's, and I met those guys then. And then Bob was like, man, I'm in this band, and we're not like good, but people love us. <laughs> And this, We're not know, good, but people love us. It's like the like, motto of all my favorite bands. They'd only play like three times or something <laughs> like that. Like it wasn't anywhere. I was. A, I think it was a different lineup altogether. Yeah. You know, like I don't even know if Mark was in playing in the band at that point. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just became friends with them. Then I ended up moving to San Francisco a couple years later, and they were getting big then. So I would like see them out in California and like hung out. Like I rode down with them from San Francisco to L.A. and like they couldn't bring a dog on tour, so they brought me. <laughs> Same sort of entertainment value. Fantastic. <laughs> and, um, you know, when they did their reunion tour in 2010, I'd already done some of that kind of work with um, David Berman and the Silver Jews. Mm-hmm. David asked me to, like, I, to go on and, like, introduce them and try to do a little stand-up comedy <laughs> before the Silver Jews shows, which didn't go that great. As people, you know. people weren't ready no, for, people for want, comedy. No, no, they want to see this guy who hasn't toured ever. <laughs> But no, let me hold you it's up. So, for, it's such a fucking fun. That, that itself is a funny joke. Is like yeah. Berman being like, "Go tell some jokes." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He even put it like he even put it like advertising is like uh, country comedy with oh Kevin Guthrie and Corny Crow. I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> you mean to do like a puppet act? I'm like, oh like, my God. Like Waylon and Madam or some shit. But uh, that morphed into me doing merch. And yeah. then that morphed into me like helping out with driving and like making hotel arrangements and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when Pavement did their huge thing in 2010, I was just asked to come along and handle their merch, mm. uh, which was major. Like, sh- yeah, it was a lot of work. People wanted, people to, were buying, people like, wanted f- to buy merch in 2010. Four and five at a time. <laughs> and like, it's like, yeah. Yeah. But it was great. That's it was great. You that's know? And I know those guys really well for the most part individually. I don't know Scott a lot. Scott li- always lives in like Mexico or Australia <laughs> or somewhere. It's not like you run into him ever. Right. He's just like not on, yeah. the, on the street. I, I had a, I wor- lived at a, a, an apartment in the early aughts and there was a stray orange cat that everyone had their own name for and yeah. one person named it uh pear jambone and i named it <laughs> i named it steve malkmus so, oh that's <laughs> nice <laughs> so we had a little oh, a nice. little pavement around all the time yeah, yeah um and how did you know how did you know berman because david was living in new york too oh, okay and and you know steve west when he was my housemate got a job they were all security guards at the Whitney, the old Whitney Museum. Oh, yes. So I would go there all the time. That we Just let us know. We'll put you on the list. So I went like every other week. They would write these little notes because they were bored just standing around. And they would write these little notes that would say like, fuck you. 
like tiny, like the size of your fingertip and roll them up. And like they could like, the walls were soft in this one part, they could like stick them in there. It was like a game for them to try to find these like <laughs> Easter eggs of like, Fuck you notes to that's each other. Beautiful. What did you learn from all that time? I mean, that's like those are those are two unreal bands to be around and to be friends with and to be around while they're like out doing the thing. Uh, to me, they were just my friends that were just doing stuff. And they just kind of like right place, right time is kind of how I thought about it. I didn't like put them in the same realm as REM mm -hmm. or any or a band like that, you know. So they were just dudes that like didn't put on stage clothes. They just, Whatever they had that morning, that's what they wore on stage that night and like mm -hmm. ate regular food and lived in regular apartments and mm -hmm. didn't sleep around on their spouses and girlfriends. Mm. It's kind of lame, actually. I got ripped off. Yeah, I would say like like from a from like a personal <laughs> standpoint, I can't imagine like a more not not politically conservative, but like a more like personally conservative yeah. group of people. <laughs> yeah, no, they're great. No, the uh, their longtime legendary Dutch uh, soundman Remco, he had that lot of that rock star in him. Sure, <laughs> in a great way, not in an obnoxious way, in a great way. I know that you said you started the process of making what you're making by way of art. But you said when you were fifty. Yeah, it's like eight years ago. But were you making anything before? Before that, or like, how were you concentrating your no, creative energy? I don't think I was. I I had uh, well, I'd gotten a small part. I got cast in Harmony Corinne's magnum opus, Trash Humpers. <laughs> Wait, are you in Trash Humpers? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. you're not. Yeah, I'm one of the uh, a joint twin, the conjoined twins. Kevin, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's some history. Harmony like asked me right after. The first of the year in 2009, he told me about this idea for a film, and he wasn't sure. He wanted me to be in it, but he didn't really know what the film was going to be yet. And mm -hmm. He kind of had pictures of, like, the initial pictures of what the trash humpers themselves were going to look like sure. and, like, walk through the alley. And when he told me they were going to be literally having sex with trash cans, I was like, I, in my mind, I wasn't thinking plastic dumpsters. I was thinking old school right, metal. The metal, yeah. The metal ones where you drill exactly a hole. Where I and went like, to, yeah. That's what I was like. <laughs> like a, like a, an old metal trash can with a glory hole in it, you know? <laughs> I was like, man, I, as long as my mother doesn't see it, I'll do that, you know? Sure. Sure. Did she see it? She hasn't seen it. <laughs> no, she's aware of it, though. Okay. She's aware. She of knows it. about trash yeah, How did you know doesn't... Harmony? Through David. Okay. Through David. Yeah. And like, I'd gone to dinner with them a few times, and he and Rachel are great. You really? Know? I think they've got three kids now. They, yeah, they just had their third kid. They live in Miami. Wow. I don't see them too much. I, we chat, you know, online about once a year. I just – I've been spending a lot of time in the um, in the Nashville scene archive. And by a lot of time, I've spent like three whole days there. It's not a ton of time. But I've been looking through the uh, – I was just looking through all the 1997 – archive and that's when gummo came out oh yeah and gummo got a real bad review by the national scene really? and i was like i wonder if that hurt because <laughs> yeah. it's like your backyard you know yeah uh, it, was, it was actually it was like it was it was bad but i think it kind of like ended with like it's still kind of like worth checking out but like it was <laughs> it was kind of scathing too and i was like i wonder how harmony dealt with that it feels like that's a lot to deal with when i admire that guy paper. for for like Oh, kids yeah. was I saw kids when I was twelve, and it was like extremely formative. Yeah. Like I was like, "This is like a real teen movie." <laughs> yeah, it, that movie kind of messed with me too. I didn't know him at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, no one did. Yeah, and I saw that. Yeah, I was living in San Francisco when that came out. Like. The, the scene that always gets me is the guy in the subway that's like rolling around. Yeah, on the skateboard. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, I don't know why that's the scene that just sticks out in my mind. There's so many like. 
there's so many pieces of that movie that feel as much as it's not documentary, it feels documentary. Yeah. You know, like there's all those pieces that they pick up and all that flavor, which is pretty yeah. intense. Yeah. I, I had no idea you had a trash humpers connection. So that was your previous creative outlook. <laughs> I was in that. You were in trash. Humpers. I got a couple of other acting parts here and there, but I got an acting uh, agent mm. who, um, you know, she's a pro and I'm not. And she's like, all right, well, there's a commercial audition you have to tape for. I'm like, a commercial? I'm not going to do a commercial. And I was like, I ended up doing a bunch of, like, commercial auditions, mm. like half-ass and half-hearted. But I did manage to get three of those. Have you been injured in an accident? Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. <laughs> I did three of those. Those are cool, though. It only takes 30 minutes. You get 100 bucks. They're beautiful. <laughs> and I was like, no, this isn't shown in Nashville. Like, no, 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 no. It's going to be in, where is this one? It's going to be in Little Rock. I'm like, fine. I don't know anybody there. That's fantastic. And then, yeah, then I started doing the drawing thing. And I was working all the time in restaurants yeah. the whole time, just getting burned out, like too old for that kind of, sh- that it's kind hard, of lifestyle. Like that's for 30 year olds at the oldest. At the oldest. Yeah. You know? I still do like once a year, I run the farmer's kitchen at a music festival in uh, Maine. It used to be my for fun thing when I started it in my twenties. And now I'm just like, this is my last year. This yeah. is too much. What do y'all serve? To my body. So it's like at a string camp and then partially at a festival. And so we just basically just like buy a bunch of stuff from farmers and then turn it into whatever we're able to show oh, okay. it to that, that day. or the Not really seafood though no no it's inland is it true that you can get lobster mcdonald's uh, i mean i don't think so okay i thought that, that was i don't an think urban so myth. i think maybe occasionally there's a lobster roll but i don't know i don't think so do you know of any place that makes a cajun style gumbo but using like the mussels yeah and, oh, yeah. and all that stuff from up there yeah that's a thing. source of lobster and everything that's a thing that it is a thing God, for that's sure. awesome you know as far as anything that's like Cajun or or in proximity, there's not a whole lot of like that right. culture. Yeah. So yeah. like yeah. I think you end up missing uh, flavor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, there's one interesting there. person I met. I went when I was in England with Pavement. Mark Eibold was so excited that this guy was coming to the show, and it was like this. Um, he must have been in his seventies. This really old man who was like the pitmaster of london hmm. i'm like what wow it's like there's barbecue in london yeah. i guess there's uh, i guess that's a thing but it's not yeah it's, it's not like going to memphis it's a london barbecue <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> what you like he's the best at it. <laughs> so you've been here you've been in the city for 20 years Pretty close, yeah. yeah and what? 15, 16. And we were just talking about how you can't park around Julia's Gallery uh, anymore. I mean, you used to live in Julia's Gallery, not right. when it was Julia's Gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our friend place. Lonnie owns the building, and uh, I needed a place, and he had just bought it and was fixing it up. And this is like an old house. I think this might have been like a house that like one of the boss men hmm. lived in. But this whole neighborhood was literally like tiny little houses that look exactly the same. Those for the workers. That's what this neighborhood yeah. was. So this is one of the remaining buildings. And Lonnie fixed it up with an idea that this neighborhood was going to explode. You know, he's got his recording studio. He's got two units upstairs, like mm-hmm. this one, and Julie's Gallery. And I lived there while he was fixing it up. And his studio's in the basement. And he had to dig out two feet in the basement to make it work. Yeah. He had, like, little tractors down there mm-hmm. digging up dirt like it hadn't been disturbed forever, you know. Sure. And all that stuff just, like, swept up through my floorboards in my house is just filled with like this ancient dirt and the Mm. smell was something i've never smelled before it wasn't bad or anything it was just very minerally you know and gas fumes so that was great when you did get here like what were you taken by 
probably like a line from one of David's songs, the hot <laughs> middle-aged women. <laughs> from, uh, yeah, from Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, and I, I just had a bunch of friends, like like his bandmates at the time became great friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Tony Crow, that guy, and Brian Kotzer and his wife are amazing. Yeah. William Tyler, of course, they're all like, I'm friends with his parents and sister. I'm friends with all of them. They feel like family to me, you know? I almost bought a so, house from William's parents. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, they had one for sale. And, like, Toby Leonard from the uh, Belcourt is friends with them. And yeah. he was, like, really trying to push me buying their house. <laughs> and the timing just didn't line up. But oh. I was like, it's so funny how people joke that it's a small town. But, like, this is a fucking small town. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how. You know, Dan was a – Dan Tyler's a great guy, too. He wrote a book. You should try. I'll try to find a copy for you. He wrote, like, a, a mystery. It's like a page-turner of – and what Nashville was like in like the late 70s oh, or early 80s. That's great. Very much like reading a Kinky Friedman book. That's great. I spend time, you know, at the, the library and in archives. Like that's like what I do for fun. Like that is my art. And this is a city that has like shockingly little written about it. Like hmm, outside of the context of country music. And yeah. even in the context of that, I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot written about uh, country in a particular time. There's a lot written about the civil rights struggle right. here, rightfully. Yeah. Uh, and there's a great archive at uh, the National Public Library about that. But it's very difficult to find stuff that's like, what was life like for anyone who was yeah. not in country music or involved in the civil rights yeah. fight? Like, it's very, it's it's kind of shocking. I wonder if there's much about the time that Elvis spent here, because he recorded a lot in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I think that there is some around that, but anything that's outside of just like, what did a janitor do? Like, there's just yeah. like not, there right. aren't rich histories about anything yeah. that isn't one degree away from the I, music scene. I, I think that there was, and Louisville is, Louisville is still kind of like this. I think there's, I think there's two Nashvilles. Oh, of course. And I think Explain there's them. two Explain Louisvilles. Them as far as you're concerned. I, I, I think there's a there's a white Nashville, mm-hmm. and I think there's an African-American Nashville. Mm-hmm. And they both have their own cultures, and they cross some, but for the most part. And, and it's not like that anymore, but I think it was sure. you know, obviously, yeah, probably every city in America was. But mm-hmm. that, it was like that in Nashville. And what often happens is African-American history kind of gets mm-hmm. – doesn't get the attention to detail. Right. In regards to history. Right, right, right. And, yeah, but when you when hear it, it's say, great. But when it's there, it's like it's a jewel. It's like, man, like mm-hmm. all that stuff that's like kind of getting revived on Jefferson Street, like sure. the galleries and like hopefully they'll get more live music over there and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was like being in Harlem of the South yeah. back in the day. Yeah, yeah, You know, but there's very little, there's no, very little documentation there, of it. Totally. And that's a, that is a thing. I mean, and I know that like, I know Vanderbilt has a series that's coming out, like a, a series of books that's coming out about sort of like decades of national history, I think. And that's, I hope that these are things that get yeah. covered a bit in there. Cause like, I just spend like without exaggeration, like a fucking extraordinarily substantial nerd i just spend a lot of time like reading the tennessean yeah <laughs> you know like the great. old the old right. tennis to try to like understand that now increasingly in the scene yeah uh, the banner like there's um all right not a lot of consolidated history about the city it's yeah. kind of a bummer and you know one thing i learned is like people that are from here nashville i guess has no problem tearing down historic buildings no. like no. you know we were talking about the ryman <laughs> earlier like it was almost gone it was like it was almost gonna mm-hmm. be torn down at sure. one point. You know, that was before I moved here, but they still talk about how close it came. Right. Do you know that place in Madison? It's a fairly new car wash called Rock and yeah. Roll Car Wash. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what that spot used to be? I don't. They tore it down, but they, they tore it down just like three years ago. It was a house, 
but it looked like it had been like an insurance agent's office from the 80s. Yeah. That was Colonel Tom Parker's <laughs> office. <laughs> that's amazing. And that's where Elvis slept and stayed whenever he was in town. Mm. And like there's old people in my neighborhood that remember those when he would come and they would see like the pink Cadillac and they're like, oh, Elvis is in town. Right. And like they ne- they tore it down and now it's a rock and roll car yeah, wash. Yeah, yeah. No plaque, no yeah. nothing, like, you know. No, yeah, no info. Oh, that's wild. There was a house in Portland, Maine that was like a shoe repair place. And then it wasn't for anything for a super long time. It was like a, like a pretty abandoned spot. But it was like well known as a place that Kurt Cobain squatted once. And like people were like, you can't tear it down. Kurt Cobain squatted there. It's like, it's condemned, you guys. We, gotta, we can't, like, that's not enough historical significance. But Tom Parker's place, you'd think there'd be a plaque. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny about Kurt Cobain. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know if it's true, but people are like, it is true. Like, this definitely <laughs> happened. When you were working with both uh, uh, the Jews and Pavement, is that a thing that you were doing like regularly? Or is that just a thing that came up like when it came up? Just, you were doing yeah, it? just one offs. Like you know, the pavement thing was in 2010. Um, although back you know in the late 90s when they would tour every other year, I would go and see them play for like a week at a time, and I would help the merch guy out. I would help with driving mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, I remember one time they needed a rental van mm-hmm. returned from Chicago to Indianapolis or something, and I did that for them on the way back. But mainly, I just did that to like get backstage and drink their beer on their rider. Right, you know? rightfully so. I mean, it's there. You know? <laughs> and then they, you know, then they gave me gave me some money to help out and do the do the merch with David at the time. You know, like, this could end tomorrow. Like, we could mm-hmm. he could just cancel this tour right now if, he, sure. if there's a show he didn't like. You know, but he managed to get through both those. It was a few shows in 2006. It was a long one in 2008. I think he had it in his mind to do 40 days and 40 nights. Right, 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 right. So we did like 40 shows in 41 days. That's wild. Because somebody in the band had told him, it's like, man, these days off are costing us money. <laughs> so the next time he's like, oh, really? All right. Yeah. Let's see what you think about days off now. Yeah, totally. And then it's like this lack of days off is driving us nuts. Yeah. And, and actually what probably led to him being, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Like he had to like live being like responsible for everything that, micromanage everything about the image of the silver Jews. It was just too much for him. You know, mm-hmm. I don't blame him for quitting when he did. Yeah. I wish he'd come back sooner with music, mm-hmm. but he, he was content for the most part for the 10 years in between records. You're a fan of sports generally. Uh, yeah. He was a, uh, was it football exclusively or? Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. It was exclusively football. Were you guys like football buddies? Yeah, we were, we played fantasy football <laughs> we would watch games together. He, he liked, um, he liked the order of football, and he liked the uniforms. Mm-hmm. Everybody wore a uniform that you couldn't <laughs> see their faces. Yeah. They, they seemed, like, almost unreal or something. Yeah, he he liked football. I remember one time his father-in-law came down from Louisville and had tickets to a basketball game. Mm-hmm. The University of Louisville was playing a special game in, here in Nashville. And I went with Brian because I wanted to go <laughs> see the game. And we didn't know David was there, and David saw us and came over, and he was just miserable. Mm-hmm. And one time we took him to a Preds game. He was miserable and left in the second period. That's amazing. One time he and Brian and I went to a Titans game, and Brian, David hadn't been with us before. And we used to, like, stand in the concourse because we had cheap seats, but it was better. We could move, run around, and we stood, like, in the end zone at the top of the concourse. So when we walk in, we thought David knew this, but we said, all right, we'll s- I had to go to the bathroom. We'll see you in the, in the end zone. David tried to go down on the field and climb <laughs> over the fence and get in- onto the field to stand in the end zone because that's where he thought we were. <laughs> so as soon as we walked in, we lost him for the whole game. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's a miss. <laughs> yeah. See in the end zone. Oh, oh my man. God. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Around that time when you first got here, were you active in like checking out music that was playing here? Pretty much, kind of, kind of. I I did more of that in my younger. You know, I was in my forties, early forties when I moved here, so I didn't have it in me to go out there every night. I'm th- I'm 38 yeah. right now. Yeah. I'm very very close to 39. <laughs> I go to shows and like I love being I love being there and stuff, but like it's very hard to self motivate to get there. And then it's very hard to stay when it's, I'm very obviously the oldest person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That, that, that'll, that's not going to get better, that feeling, <laughs> but still go to shows. That's only going to like amplify. I, when I was in England, I was up with some friends of mine up in North England in Hall and I went to a rock show and it was packed with like everybody. It was a cross section of like old and young. I was like, you know what? This is cool. Like there's no sort of like <clears throat> judgment from the young people looking at the old people for being at the yeah. same event. Yeah, yeah. So I just kind of roll with that mindset when I'm I'm well, always the oldest one. Well, know? I think it you know it's it's one of those things where it's like it's it's a narcissism on my part because right. I assume that like people even give a shit that there's an old guy there and it's like those people have no idea that I'm there. Like that's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, that's yeah. <laughs> it's like there's a there's a particular narcissism of thinking that you're hated for just <laughs> existing. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my god! Absolutely. So you you in your art, I loved that you had two in your show at Julia's uh, gallery. I loved that you had two nods to the Source family. Yes, loved it. Yeah, um, loved the. I love the work generally, but like those in particular. Yeah, it felt like a, a just a beautiful, you know, because I think your art's a little weird. Yeah, and I think you spending time focusing on people who are a little weird, like beautiful losers, are my favorite people. Right, right, right. Um, and so how. Did you get, because I mean, I'm speaking from experience. So how did you get to the Source family? And like, why was that something that you wanted to document in some way? And they got on my radar from the Drag City documentary from mm-hmm. about 10 years ago. Oh, I didn't realize Drag City did that documentary. Yeah. Oh, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah. And I love that documentary. And it's always stuck with me. And like, it kind of like turned into a little bit of like vegetarian cults. And it mm-hmm. was just a natural to do something with with them. Yeah, it's a cult. But it wasn't like a David Koresh thing where they were like stockpiling weapons. Right, 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 right. right. They, <laughs> they were, went they in were, another direction. <laughs> they were fairly a, a fairly benevolent group, I think. Mm. You know, um, in those regards. Uh, yeah. T- although t- that guy was also he was he got away with murder. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he was an armed bank robber to finance his restaurants. Yeah. Well, but he was charismatic as hell. Exactly. And he made a mean herb lemon vinaigrette. Can you just say who the source was? Uh, the source family uh, was in Hollywood, was in Los Angeles in the late 60s, early 70s. James Baker is the cult leader's name, and he owned a restaurant called uh, The Source Restaurant, which was the first like six really expansive vegetarian restaurant in Hollywood. And like they made smoothies, which were new at the time, and like alfalfa sprouts, salads, and all that kind of stuff. And the food was supposedly was really good, but the vibe there was like all these like beautiful young people wearing white robes working there. Mm-hmm. So all the Hollywood hipsters ate there all the time. Yeah. Um, and it became a it was like place. It was like eating at a place hosted by the Polyphonic Spree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know say it like that. <laughs> I don't say it in a bad way. It was just, you know, yeah, and uniforms. <laughs> and so he was like, he was really into like yoga and stuff. And he, I guess he had a bit of a Jesus complex or something. So he kind of like took all these young 
hippies in and they ended up renting a big house, like a mansion in the Hollywood Hills. And, uh, and apparently there was some sort of crossover, like he was giving a girl a ride home from work the night that the Sharon Tate murders happened. Mm-hmm. Something happened along the same timeline as the Sharon Tate thing. As the cult grew and expanded and they had their house that they rented in the Hollywood Hills and all the neighbors were like worried that it was going to be come of, you know, a Charles Manson type of thing. Mm-hmm. So they kind of got run out of town and they ended up, they had enough money to move uh, to Hawaii and they bought some land in Hawaii and uh, sold a restaurant, which has been a number of places. I told you at the opening that I was in that building before I knew what it was or before I knew the history. And I'm not like a person who like regularly is like, this place has bad vibes, but that place it had bad vibes. And I did not know why. I didn't know like what it was related. I was like looking for like beams. I was like, is there a, like, is there, <laughs> is it because of how it's built? Like I had no idea. And I ended up asking someone later because no one in the restaurant had any idea about the history of it. So I asked someone later and figured out the That's background. weird that no one knew. This is no commentary on what it was, but it was a Cabo Cantina, which is a Sammy Hagar's tequila <laughs> restaurant. Uh, it was staffed accordingly, and I don't think esoteric Los Angeles history was on anyone's mind. <laughs> Could you imagine being in a cult led by Sammy Hagar? <laughs> no, th- no, thank you. <laughs> there's, a great, there's a great story in an old believer by Devander Banhart talking about getting into a fist fight with Sammy Hagar, which oh I can only imagine was a scene. <laughs> Devendra Barnhart and Sammy Hagar got yeah, in there? Yeah, totally. Because I guess, like, Devendra was playing a show somewhere, and Sammy Hagar, I think, came in and was very belligerent. Yeah, like, oh yeah, And then that. was just, like, belligerent in the crowd and was yelling requests for his own music. <laughs> and then, like, Banhart, who you would not imagine yeah, this would happen, I think, like, got on stage and, like, grabbed him by the mop of hair. and like Yeah, <laughs> like, enough's him. enough. <laughs> and if this is not true... I believe it's true. I, I remember re- it was like from like 2002 or 2003 that, that I read it. And if it's not true, let's just believe that it's true. Oh, yeah, Because it it's, it's a lot more fun to think that that happened if it didn't. It happened. Just like the guy that invented tofu. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what I like so much about the fact this was your focus of the show is I think like if you like anything, right, if you like any single thing, it's fun to consider all the avenues through which it got to your experience. And so to think that it came from you know, that myth that you had talked about. And then it came in part and was popularized by a seventh day Adventist in Madison and by a friggin' cult in Los Angeles. Like that's how stuff gets to you. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Through a culmination of all the shared history. I I soon found out that I wasn't, that I needed to like use my own thoughts. I didn't have a list of things I needed to do. So that's why half of the show is a fake magazine covers. Mm. For a fake magazine I made up called uh, Tofu Digest. <laughs> and like I, I, I strategically put like the dates so it would span 120 years. Mm-hmm. And I put like a fake table of contents that you could read underneath it. But I wanted it to be like, is this like a tractor magazine? Is it like a food magazine? Sure. Lifestyle? Is it like – I almost did like a fake Bat Boy from the like National Enquirer yeah. uh, one. But uh, I left that out. It was silly. I but I made it expand 120 years, and I kept putting that there was a a reporter on, with a scoop, and his name was Colby Rennett. I just made that up. And, like, the timeline is he'd have to be, like, 130 years old at the end. Like, he's still writing 
The first article was 120 years ago. Still writing for Tofu Digest? (laughs) Love his commitment. I love any situation in which a magazine can make it to 120 years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a focus for – I always hate asking anyone when they're working on one thing that they want people to look at to ask what they're working on next. Next? But I'm going to do it. Yeah. What is your area of focus next? Um, I think I'm I'm still narrowing that down, but I'm going to do a couple of uh, porn star (laughs) – portraits mm. and one of them is interesting um do you remember that disco classic more 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 yes i How do, do you like it? yes absolutely by andrea true sure she was a porn star oh cool and she's from nashville really she was like really successful like teenage musician she had her own afternoon tv show uh-huh. that she hosted when she was like 13 or 14 in nashville, in nashville. Okay. I don't, i've never seen any clips or any images of it but she went on and became like a fairly successful porn star mm. she made some movies in jamaica and at the time, there was a new, like, hard-nosed president that came in and said, anybody that's not Jamaican that's here making money, you either have to leave your money here or you have to spend your money here. Mm. And she had just made some money, so she decided. And she had been writing songs. She studied music at Vanderbilt. <laughs> she made that song with, like, hired musicians in stu- studio time. Wow. And, like, she made more, more, more off of her porn money. Yeah. And then, like made a few more albums, I guess, and still was making porn. So I'm going to do a portrait of her and a portrait of a really famous porn star, Seika, Hmm. who's famous in the 70s and 80s, and she's from Richmond, uh, where I grew up, and my old college roommate, she she used to be his babysitter when he was like 10. Oh, my God. So I'm going to do a couple of those. And then, I'm not sure, but I think I'm going to work on a series about a friend of mine named uh, Gary Smith, Hmm. who played... Uh, hockey. He was a goalie for almost 20 years in the NHL, and he's got tons of great stories. I think I'm going to do a series about him. Hmm. Uh, it's going to be the next thing, but that won't be ready for like two years, probably. Right. right. I'm going to I'm going to do a lot, and like hopefully can put it together. Or not. Are you a person who can? So, for example, like the history of tofu, where like real and imagined. You focus on that through the lens of the art. Like, are you a person who needs to have? a project in order to like dive in in that way yes yeah yes yeah yeah. i I can very very rarely can i just pull off a one-off piece i mean i do when i'm bored but i'd rather have a large project Mm -hmm. and i can think about and like how can i do this do you like talk about it to people along the way and sort of like get their feedback or is it all inside and then you're like welcome to this universe that i've created i um i will show i have a handful of people that i will show like a piece in its progression like when you can kind of see what it is, but it's not finished, I'll send them a, fi- a photo. Mm-hmm. But I don't really talk about, I don't really ask for advice too much. I'll ask for technical advice. Like, what's the best, what paint should I use here? Right. You know, how do I make this color? Or like, what brushes are the best? That kind of thing. Or what size should this piece be? Mm-hmm. But not like the plan of like, what's going to be in involved in the show. Yeah. I, I noticed earlier you had a little trouble owning the fact that you're an artist. How's that going for you? Because I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something that I just feel like I'm doing now, you know? I, I don't know what I'm doing. That's what's great about it. You can do whatever you want, really. Mm-hmm. I, like Julia said, there's really you can't really do anything wrong, especially if you're like committed to it. Right. But I do lots of things wrong. Like, for instance, I draw on those cardboard boxes, which is the worst thing to draw on because they're so acidic. Right. That, I mean, I've, they look good now, like 10 years later, they look okay, but over time they're just going to get like right. sucked in. So I've had to like 
learn how to adjust to like put gesso down as a code. Mm-hmm. I never heard of gesso. So I'm learning like that kind of stuff, technical. Is it just cardboard boxes forever? I just like it. (laughs) I've got all this stuff. I've got like fancy drawing paper that I don't like. I've got canvases. I've kind of practiced oil painting. And I put some some paint in this last show. It's not just crayon and pencil. Uh, I just like the feel of starting off and doing like the pencil drawing first on that. You can erase it. I like that color brown. So I, I'd like to not do that anymore, but that's what, as of now, it's what I'm most comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you're an artist, you know? Like, you're, <laughs> you've had several shows. I'm an artist. <laughs> I'm an artist. Can I start you off with some jalapeno poppers? <laughs> I'm but not a really of, a waiter. But a lot of times, I mean, a lot of times, the way that goes is you do that, and then you say you're an artist, but you have, you've not made anything. <laughs> Whereas you actually had, I saw it with my own eyes, a very successful show. Yeah, I am. Man, when I first started working on this, I decided, I got to really wrap my head around this, you know, to try to like come up with something good. So I'm going to become a vegetarian like the first day of, I think I said it was going to be the first day of December. And that lasted like five days. (laughs) I was just eating garbage. I wasn't eating meat, but I was eating like Mm Pop-Tarts and microwave popcorn and, and cereal and like not eating healthy at all. It was, it was kind of messing with me. So I eased back in and then I was just like, you know what? This is kind of about farmers. I'm just going to wake up really early and work in the morning. So I've been getting up at like 4.30, oh, 5 o'clock every morning and like going to work right away like a farmer would. Doing it. That's like my connection to like, you know, hard work yeah. for the show. <laughs> just, just, That's good. That seems more manageable. I like working in the morning. Are, are you a... Uh, oh, Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. I get, up, I get up early and then yeah. start doing stuff for a couple hours while the energy of the house is different. That Maybe that's what it is. I think so. I think it's like, it's that for sure. I think the energy is like generally different. And I also like, I'm a pretty big, this sounds a little too woo-woo for me to enjoy uh, that it's coming out of my own mouth. But I think that like when everyone's up, like the just like collective mental energy is different. Yeah. Then when it's just like, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning, it's like you and a handful of other people. And like, it's not buzzing. You know? Yeah, and I like that. Yeah, a lot. I do too. I like watching the sun come up. I live like right by the river over there too. Yeah, and like just watching it come up, it's just turned from dark to orange to blue. Mm. Uh, the morning while I'm working, I love that. I f- man, the fucking the sunrises here are so great. Great, just the best. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's unreal yeah. every day. It's a new form of unreal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it. we live. I think we're kind of in a, a valley. Mm-hmm. in Nashville. I think that's why we're somewhat protected by tornadoes mm. quite often is that they kind of bounce around us. Right. But when they do fall down they into the bowl, in they get stuck in yeah. it and bang around. Yeah. You know? And apparently follow the same path more or less when they go. Yeah. Here. At Basement East. Yeah. That was like the third time or something. Yeah. It's unreal. I mean, when you put the like three paths from like the one in the 30s to the one in the 90s to the one a couple of years ago on top of each other, it's like virtually the same yeah. thing. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. That was weird. That was like God, what a weird week that was. Because that was when COVID was like, COVID right. was going to shut things down for a while. Right. And remember the controversy was like the bars down on Lower Broadway wanted to stay open. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Kid Rock like, was the king of the <laughs> was the king of taking a stand. <laughs> yeah, but we were all like, you know, I know which side I was on. I was like, I'm going to do what I think is right. But we were just winging it. You of know? course. Yeah, there's no. There were a lot of mistakes made. There's no pandemic preparation outside of when you're in it. Yeah, like that overly washing your hands. Like, I mean, they made it sound like if you just kept your hands clean, you're going to be all right. (laughs) 
It's an airborne disease. <laughs> Wash so, your hands. It feels so quaint in retrospect or however many. I mean, I'm glad that people are using hand sanitizer, but like how much hand sanitizer is around where people aren't just like, wear your fucking thing on your face? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like all the, like we went out to Pigeon Forge not long ago and like all the shops are just like riddled with hand sanitizer and <laughs> no, not a mask to be seen, you know? What more do you want people to know about you before uh, um, that are going to get people to go down to your show? Um, yeah, come on down. J- Julia will... Uh, Pour you a glass of something Saturday afternoons until six, you know, is when they generally keep hours. And if you know Julia, call her and she can set up something with you and take you on a private tour. And, you know, when I do these, I know like at best half of them will sell, mm-hmm. but I have to put that other half that I know aren't going to sell. I have to work on those too, mm-hmm. just because I'm trying to tell a story. Right. Like that baseball show I did, I threw in all of those political candidates from the 72 mm-hmm. uh democratic you know all those candidates and it's like no one's going to buy this george wallace one but he's part of the story yeah totally so did I, someone buy the george wallace no one? of course no one not of course not is it still available uh, it's got dust all over it i'll, I'll, I'll give I'll, it to I'll you buy the wallace one. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not a wallace fan but <laughs> no he he tried to like he tried to make good near the end so i'll give him credit for that but um i just again it's like those things i love how like Especially going to like flea markets and stuff. Yeah, my stuff would be great in flea markets. I, I just love art that exists of things where you're like, why, <laughs> why would someone paint that? And I love that. That's the best. Yeah, it is the best. That is my primary interest. Yeah. That's kind of like what Trash Humpers is. Why would somebody make that? I met a dude who, um, his name was Dennis McGrath. Really great guy. He, photographer, skateboarder, was like around that crew of people when they made kids. He dated a bunch of porn stars in LA. I, I met him because I had a t-shirt of his. I saw in the back, it had this information. I called him and was like, hey, you want to hang out? He was like, sure. So I ended up hanging out with Dennis, who's a photographer. And, and I, like I said, I ended up dating a bunch of porn stars. And that was a different time <laughs> for porn. It was like pre-OnlyFans, like when yeah. just like porn was like made by studios, stuff like that. He made all these zines about like the behind the scenes of that scene. And that is the most fascinating stuff to me is like a behind the scenes of like what that culture was like is a thing that I think like 99% of people would look at and be like, why would anyone care? Yeah. And I care very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I care about anything where someone's made art and I'm like, and anyone asks like, why would someone make art about this? I'm primarily interested in that art. Yeah. I know that Boogie Nights was great for that. Yes, know? absolutely. And uh, <laughs> so is that HBO. What I, I'm bragging, I used to be able to afford HBO. <laughs> The Deuce, yeah, yeah, it's a good yeah. amount of that. That's too. a that's a um, that's a David Simon one, isn't it? I love that show. That yeah. shows a that shows a great show. It's based on like Real Brothers. Like that was a real. That was really yeah. That was like they a did real a great scene. job. I, I remember when I was in college, we went to New York on a field trip. Times Square was like that. Sure, you know, and that was nineteen eighty two. Yeah, and then now it's like. Very different. Very different. It's very 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 different. Even when you guys were there, when the the time that you were describing. I never went over there when I lived there. But even like New York was so different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. now. I mean. Oh, like, yeah. Avenue C and D were really rough. Right. Now there's like a Whole Foods over there. Right. Some dude lunged at us one night with like a paper bag full of needles. Yeah. Like lunch. It's like, what the fuck, man? (laughs) You're gonna ruin your needles. I was uh, <laughs> I was pals with uh, this guy named Jim Thompson who used to be in Guar. Was like one of the drummers. His name was Hans Orfis back. Oh in the, yeah, the 80s. yeah. He was the sweetest dude. He reminded me of Fonzie in a lot of ways. Like he carried himself. Like it was so funny to think that he was in Guar, but. He was in a cab one time and like he just like looked out the window and saw a guy walking towards the cab on his on his side and they looked out the other window, saw someone walking towards them, and then someone 
came towards the front of the cab and so I was coming towards the back and they just corned it four ways and pulled him out of the cab and took all of his shit. Holy shit. Um, and like it was like a coordinated four-way attack. Um and yeah, Jim was Jim was like, that was terrible. It was like the most horrifying, like terrible experience. But he's like, it was a different time. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's rough. I have yeah. No idea. Oh man. Yeah. I know those guys a little bit. I went to college with Guar. Oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like Rocky, those guys? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. He was the one I knew the best. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. was he seems like a fucking genius. He was a cool dude. Yeah. He was real like he grew up in Northern Virginia, but he just seemed like such a redneck in a way. Totally. Like but he's great. Like that other band he was in, Death Piggy, where yeah, he played yeah, yeah, bass. Yeah. Oh my God. I love every time they didn't play much, but God, they were so good. I ended up meeting Jerry only from the the Misfits on a plane once. I was waiting for the bathroom and he came up behind me. And he was wearing, I mean, he was like such a friggin' dad. You know, he had like a crisp new misfit shirt on, like tucked into his jeans. <laughs> yeah, like his go. jeans were high. And I was like, I love your shirt, man. He goes, it's my band. And I was like, yeah, I know. Uh, so I love your shirt. And so he and I ended up becoming friendly in a really funny way. Like we ended up seeing each other very randomly on like several trips. We came across each other and then I ended up like helping him like do a fundraiser with his daughter for his like daughter's school or something. Like just like really funny over like cross section of things. And he used to want to like call and like talk about like like what being a dad was like very very funny when dave died in guar he was like what asked me if i wanted to go to like the guar barbecue funeral that they yeah had oh, yeah him. the viking funeral totally and like the one gigantic regret that i have was not going to the yeah. guar barbecue it's pretty awesome <laughs> going right? to see jerry only in the yeah. <laughs> i've not gone to that restaurant um curious about it curious about that yeah i think i mean I, I don't know it sounds like they have a good time there <laughs> yeah i remember that i was uh, stuck in an airport all day when i found out i was bummed they had just done for the first time ever it's like 2014 first time mm -hmm. ever playing in japan yeah and he was so excited because he always bet. wanted to play so he got to do that and he came back and then like yeah. party too hard one day it's a shame i don't know what it is but i have dived back into guar i would say because i was a huge guar fan when i was a kid and i've dived back and it giant way in the past handful of months and it's huh. all like particularly like the late 80s early 90s stuff is brilliant yeah. i mean it's like very 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 smart and i think you know a lot of people didn't recognize it because it was drippy and wet. yeah <laughs> they had this cool uh warehouse where they lived and had their stuff they'd have parties over there and it was like somewhere i guess to what prince's purple paisley sure. is but if like guar <laughs> took over that yeah. uh, the I dripping know, dynasty or something yeah, yeah. man anything went back then oh those God, are the good so old good. days i don't know if i long for to go back to that and i'm glad i survived it i wouldn't mm -hmm. recommend it to anybody that's 22 right to like do the stuff that i did yeah don't follow my path i know? don't think i don't know like i lived and continued much less so now, but like I lived like a moderately very dangerous, yeah. you know, tw like 12 to 30. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't encourage anyone to do no. it, but I was, I'm grateful for that time. I guess I am too, ultimately. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, uh, Julia Martin Gallery, 444 Humphreys. Beautifully pulled together. <laughs> in the Wedgwood, Houston area. Parking's a bitch. So if you have a helicopter, that would be the way to get down here. You can do it. You're just going to walk a bit. Yeah. It's going to be great. Uh, well, thanks so much, Kevin. Alex, thank you so much. Super Wonderful fun. to chat with you. Awesome.
All right, everybody. That is it for this episode of Nashville Demystified. I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Nashville Demystified is distributed, of course, by We Own This Town. Thanks so much to We Own This Town for doing that. Thank you so much to Kevin for sitting down for this interview several times. <laughs> Thanks to Michael Eads for recording the interview. Thank you to Chris Burns for editing this episode. I appreciate what you're doing, Chris. And uh, thank you again for listening. You can find me online at Twitter, Alex Steed. You can find me on Instagram, Alex Steed. You can find me on TikTok, Alex Steed. The show has handles, but not a whole lot happens outside of on Instagram. And demystified. You can find little pieces of history that I find and post there when they strike me. You better believe that they're weird. That's what I do. <laughs> weird history. It's my whole thing. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being here, y'all. We will talk with Mary Mancini about Lucy's Record Shop next time. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>